We all know that during the zombie apocalypse, when you're not fighting the undead, you're going to want to scare off any would-be scavengers from your horde of canned goods. So we suggest getting our faces tattooed on your face at Cardinal Rose Tattoo Gallery in Asheboro, North Carolina. Hosting a clean and professional environment, Cardinal Rose has three resident artists that can cover all your tattoo needs, from realism to traditional. Shamble in the Cardinal Rose Tattoo Gallery before the collapse of society. Cast, for this may be your very last. Four chilling tales to haunt your nights and bring us home schoolish delights. As night grows longer and days run fewer, it's flustered among the light as a sewer. <laughs> Some sort of hobbled road. Person. I told I told you in the Road Warrior universe I'd be like a road druid or like something like that. <laughs> Go to where the flames burn high. Yeah. <laughs> I talk in memes and they're like, he speaks in riddles. <laughs> what do you think are the scariest? Slow zombies or fast zombies? Oh man. Didn't know he was gonna get all well, existential. The, the, the slow zombies are gonna be persistent, you know. True. It's a, it's a I think the fast zombies are scary in like an anxiety type way, but the slow zombies are more scary in a like existential threat type way. Courtesy flush number two for Flushtober. It's zombies. Zombies are undead humans brought to life in fiction, usually by mysterious means from their origins in West African culture to the United States' most recent horror phenomenon obsession. Zombies have proven themselves to be some of the most effective and important fictional monsters of all time. Yeah, they litter our pop culture, which we'll get into in the latter half of this episode. But first, we're going to give you a brief history on the origins of zombies. The story of Zombies goes all the way back to the people of West Africa. In fact, it's where it's thought the word zombie comes from. The Kukongo word for uh, zambi, which means God, or zumbi, which is a word for fetish. Now, in this instance, a fetish is like a small religious icon it might be like a little uh, medallion yeah, or like, figurine. Yeah, like Romans would carry. Yes, yes, a, a religious icon. Um, you know, it, it's a fetish. And it's it's not the thing that you have for, like, clowns blowing each other. Yeah. Or whatever you have. It's like an idol. Yeah, sure, yeah, exactly. yeah. That's that's what this fetish is. But that's that's where they think the word comes from. When those people were abducted from their homelands, Wherever they ended up, they took their culture and religions with them. But few places absorbed and expanded those beliefs more than Haiti. Haitian voodoo is a religion 
that was developed over a several hundred year period. And for simplicity's sake, we'll just say at a glance, it's a sort of fusion between West African traditional religion and Roman Catholicism. In particular, Catholicism's focus on saints. So suffice to say, it's an incredibly rich religion that we here would not be able to appropriately cover in this small period of time for our purposes. But we recommend to anybody out there to look into this religion. It's incredibly interesting. So, Haitian voodoo, and thus zombies, became associated with fear and death and all these crazy sort of things because of colonialism. See, enslaved and free people of Haiti kicked the fat, wigged French colonizers <laughs> off the island in 1805. <laughs> That's the sound of the French being like comically kicked out. <laughs> Haiti became one of the first nations founded by enslaved people. And this freaked out nations like England and the United States. They were slave holding places. So it made sense that they would demonize the religions and traditions of the people in Haiti to make them seem more monstrous than it really was. Nonetheless, voodoo, like all religion, does indeed have some darker aspects. Udons, or mambos, act as priests and priestesses, respectively. But their dark counterpart is the bokor. In a way, Bokor are a sort of sorcerer, acting kind of in part as a folk healer or a sort of magic practitioner. In reference to zombies, it's often said that a substance does not make a zombie. A Bokor does. Supposedly. So in, in voodoo, it's almost a, a magical animation, a reanimation. Sure. Okay, okay. So supposedly a bokor will make a powder containing so many reported mystical ingredients that would be applied to a person that has deemed to be transformed. The affected person will either die or enter a state indistinguishable from death and then be fed a substance by the bokor that revives them to a state often highly aloof, dazed, and submissive. It's said these zombies will often become slaves to the Bokor. As highly fantastic as all that might seem, there is one such case with serious documentation. The life and death and life and death <laughs> of Clavarius Narcisse. Clavarius Narcisse was 40 when he died. He came to the Schweitzer Hospital in Deschapelles on April 30th, 1962. 
he was achy. He had a fever, and he began to spit up blood. Doctors were unable to diagnose him, and after three days, passed away with his sister, Angela, at his bedside. Multiple attending physicians said that he was, in fact, super fucking dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's he ain't alive. He, he was dead. <laughs> in life-faring terms, he was fucked. <laughs> At this point in Haiti, they did not embalm. The burial happened soon after death, and Calaverius Narcisse was buried. Eighteen years later, his sister, Angela, the same one by his bedside, was in her garden, and a man wandered up saying that he was Calaverius. She might not have believed him, but he used a childhood nickname for himself, and he immediately had family details. He said to Angela he remembered when he died, and when he was buried in Bocour, immediately resurrected him, fed him a paste, and sent him to work on a sugarcane plantation. Eventually, he broke the spell, ran away home. Now, as makes sense, this story attracted attention from academics in Haiti. Here was, for the first time, a person that has come back and said, I was a zombie. Eventually, local doctors sent away for a Harvard graduate student named Wade Davis to investigate the substance. Wade Davis was sent there to discover this zombie powder, this substance that would make people zombies. And he went down there on a lark but he soon realized that this culture and everything involved with it was much more serious than he gave it credit for. But nonetheless, Wade Davis was able to ingratiate himself amongst the secret societies of these Bokor, these sorcerers of Haitian voodoo, to understand the various mixtures of these zombie powders to understand how they were made, and to obtain samples of this supposed zombie powder. He wanted to figure out what it was in these substances. And indeed, he was able to obtain multiple samples of supposed zombie powder. Do you think that if he had actually deduced what was in the powder, he would have come back to America and, like, and like a door-to-door salesman, like, uh, you know, the, the old 50s stuff where they just show up and they're like, Bet you're asking yourself a lot of questions right yeah. now. Forget everything you knew about zombie powder before. This time, it's better. Got a troublesome daughter? Yeah. <laughs> zombie powder. She's just not cleaning her room? Zombie powder. But he obtained these samples. And in many instances, Wade Davis was around when these Bokur made these zombie mixtures 
when scientists analyzed them, they found that there were things like lizard skin, various toads and centipedes. Some mixtures had broken glass, toxic resins, and sea worm shells. But one thing was consistent between all the mixtures. Two ingredients, human bones and pufferfish toxin. I feel like that would be a hard sale to the American public. A little bit. (laughs) (laughs) The toxin in these mixtures, tetrodotoxin, has been known to kill people in fugu. Ah, and pufferfish. Yes, uh, you know, the, the Japanese sushi delicacy. In more mild cases of uh, pufferfish poisoning, it causes paralysis or it might cause a state that closely resembles death. Davis's theory was that Bocours would administer to their victim this zombie powder to resemble a death-like state to the people around them and indeed to the person that it was administered to. When the time was right, they would resurrect, so it was, maybe dig up a corpse, retrieve them, and feed them a paste of sweet potatoes, sugar cane syrup, and Datura stramonium, a plant that's actually named the zombie cucumber. Datura causes confusion, psychosis, and sometimes complete amnesia. It's a trippy cucumber. <laughs> it, I mean, it really is a, a submissiveness, too. So what Davis thought was that the people who were administered this zombie powder, people like Clavarius Narcisse, would resemble this death-like state. And when they were brought back, so it was, they would be fed this psychotropic drug, the zombie cucumber, to cause submissiveness, to come and work potentially as a underling, as a slave, as it was, to the Bokur. Now, some researchers took exception to Davis's theories. A lot of people that got a hold of these so-called zombie powders said essentially like, yes, they contain numerous toxic substances. But even if you took them directly, like even if you swallowed them, it was likely to be inert. And so Davis more or less hit back. What he said was that the people who were brought to the brink of death with this toxic substance believed that they were zombies when they approached this near-death state. And really, that is the extent. Of any recorded zombie happenings, pretty much. Exactly. In, in real instances. Now, Wade Davis's work on this is The Serpent and the Rainbow which was turned into a Hollywood picture. It's indeed one of the rare Hollywood pictures to depict zombies. 
in their cultural context. Right, their actual origins. But of course, zombies really came into their own when they met Hollywood. That's true. And although Serpent and the Rainbow was one of the early portrayals of voodoo zombies, it was actually an earlier film, 1932 earlier, starring Bela Lugosi called White Zombie. A lot of the darker aspects of Haitian voodoo religion were exaggerated by principally colonizers that would come to the island and bring back to their homelands these exaggerated tall tales of this religion. And this was absorbed by pulp novelists and sensationalist authors of the time and eventually filmmakers. Indeed, one of the very first zombie pictures, just like you said, is White Zombie in in 1932. Yeah, it was still a voodoo portrayal of the zombie. They weren't flesh eaters. Yeah, exactly. It was was more the spiritual thing. Sort of zombie slaves. Right, and it kind of had mixed reviews and mixed success, you know, financially and all that. Yeah, Bella Lugosi was a heroin zombie when he made this. <laughs> but, um, but nonetheless, it got the gears turning for our love of zombies. Yes, it kind of presented to the American public the idea, the word, mm-hmm. concept of zombies, some sort of spiritually bereft ghoul. But they eventually morphed into what we know as the classic cinema zombie right. in Night of the Living exactly. Dead. I wanted to focus on three big players and why we personally love zombies so much. Our first big player we're going to discuss, George A. Romero. Oh, yes. This guy is like the, the godfather of zombie film in pop culture. He defined what you think of right now as zombies. Night of the Living Dead was his first go at this, and that was released in 1968. Night of the Living Dead was an independent picture. It was good with audiences. It was horrible with critics. Right. Who, yeah, the critics said uh, it was gruesome. Oh, yeah, and, it was terrible. But audiences ate it up. Yeah, and it, it was, was like a cult classic. Yes, it was an early example of a cult movie making its way through cinemas redefined zombies. Horror fans loved it back in the day. In 1978 is when I think possibly my favorite zombie movie come out, Dawn of the Dead by George A. Romero. This was like a collaboration between him and Dario Argento. Argento uh, did Suspiria, other other classic horror films. Uh, The way I have heard the sort of Genesis behind the idea for Dawn of the Dead is that George A. Romero had a friend that owned the mall that they shot in. Right. And like somewhere in Pennsylvania or Maryland. uh, Pittsburgh, I think. Pittsburgh, yep. Yes. And he said there were enough supplies inside the mall to like withstand a certain amount of time. And of course, this got George A. Romero thinking like, we're here talking about George A. Romero. I think. There were people that ascribed a social aspect 
to his zombie movies, mm-hmm. which may or may not have been present. Yeah, like he had, he took inspiration from like McCarthyism and things like that. Sure, and- yeah, like with the, you know, the zombies at the mall. Right. Like the open consumerism. I don't think that George A. Romero at the time understood the magnitude of what he was making. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like who knew it would have such a, a huge sure, a impact. lasting impact on American horror. So George A. Romero did a third in the series, Day of the Dead, a much more dour, dire picture that one was dark very dark it's 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 it it explores the end of authority it really explores some dark themes and i think for his original zombie pictures it is seriously gory yes it is there's scenes i remember from it that i I still like kind of yes they're very harsh for many many years those three pictures were the extent of George A. Romero's zombie trilogy. But Zack Snyder remade Dawn of the Dead in 2004. That kind of gave a renewed interest to George A. Romero, and he got some independent funding for various zombie pictures that he made. He made uh, uh, Land of the Dead. Remember Which, that? Yeah, because it also has John Leguizamo. And yeah, it, it's great. Uh, Asia Argento, hmm. the daughter of Dario Argento, the 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 writer and co-financer of Dawn of the Dead, but um, he made a couple of others. I'm just gonna be honest; they're not great. I don't even know that I've seen. Honestly, uh, Diary of the Dead. There's one where there's like the a, other thing I remember is that he directed a music video for the Misfits. He George A. Romero uh, directed a Japanese commercial for Resident Evil 2. That sounds awesome. Which is dope. It's dope. And that's George A. Romero. He passed away a couple of years ago. Yeah. Rest in peace. Thank you, George, for all the uh, the fantastic zombie yes. content. Who's our second figure in our, in our zombie shuffling crew? So our second heavy hitter in this shuffling crew is Edgar Wright. Specifically, his film Shaun of the Dead. It was a a horror comedy, but it collected a lot of elements from past zombie films. I don't think that there was ever a filmmaker who understood the ins and outs of what made a zombie movie good. And to incorporate all these elements into a comedy. Yeah, it's truly a masterpiece. If you're listening to this and you've never seen Shaun of the Dead. Stop what you're doing. Stop. Yes. Hey, do yourself a favor and go watch hey, it right now. Fucking hey, <laughs> pull your fucking car over. Put, put your put your fucking cheesy gordita crunch down, and you need to watch Shaun of the Dead right now on the side of the highway. <laughs> you might be going eighty five miles an hour. You stop. You watch it right now. Okay, we're assuming you just watched it. Do you think? that it was kind of a harbinger of broader zombie love. Oh, absolutely. I think it it made zombies fun. It brought everybody back thinking about them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, zombies 
kind of fell into B horror movies for a long time. We had a zombie renaissance. Yeah, a zombie sans. (laughs) Sure. Does it feel like growing up as young people during this time Mm -hmm. and being into zombies, when we get into the third person that you're going to talk about, doesn't it feel like you rode this wave of... You understood zombies. And so when there were all these movies and popular culture. Like we we saw it come into what it is now. Into its fruition. That there was some element of like you kind of felt justified. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it was like it was uh, was kind of vindicating. Sure. You know, it's like, oh, it's cool to like this. Like, okay, awesome. Like, I'm not going to get like, you know, shit for liking zombies now. Which brings us to our third member in this uh, I think zombie trilogy. Tri- yeah, this triumvirate of yeah, zombie of, of creators. Zombies. And uh, this is this is a person people might not know of, but uh, Robert Kirkman. Yeah, if you like the Walking Dead show, I'm sure you may know who Robert Kirkman oh, is. Man. There, he- there are so many ants out there that just uh, uh, aunts, if you will, but that that like love the Walking. Oh, oh, oh! I love the Walking. <laughs> oh, I love the. Walking. But like they, they don't like Robert Kirkman is not a name known to them. But if you explained it to them, they might understand. Uh, I would actually uh, disagree. I think that the people who know the show know Robert Kirkman because he appeared on like the Talking Dead, which was a follow up, basically podcast oh, show. Oh, I used to love that Robert Kirkman. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, he's written other numerous successful comics. So I. I think if you like The Walking Dead, obviously you know who Robert Curtin is. Moreover, that's what we're talking about, is Walking Dead. Right. If there was a third zombie sense or a, like, driving the ball home, it was The Walking Dead comics. I hate to sound like that guy, but I was into the comics before it was cool. No, no, but, no you like, really were. I and loved the comics. Not, and... not, not to get into talking about The Walking Dead. <laughs> right, yeah. But you, you, have, you have read the series from beginning to end. Yes, and it's a fantastic series. If you like comics, check it out. If you love zombies, I think if check, you, I think if you love good stories, yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. Like I've, it's one of those comics I suggest to any of my friends, and all of them that checked it out have been like, yeah, this is just fantastic. So I think the Walking Dead, the comic, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't speak towards the television show, right? But uh, the comic is at least in my loose observation, a really decent reflection of how things might operate. Oh yeah, it's absolutely a believable story. Like in, I mean it's in such a zombie scenario, yes. Yeah. Um and and it's a very human story. Absolutely. Yeah. Like there are things Is that what we love about zombies? Is that it reduces all the bullshit we deal with down to a very core human level. It does. It, it, um, welcome to cinema explained by <laughs> life is a sewer. <laughs> it, it brings, it, it brings everything down to survival. Absolutely. It's a return to where we weren't so removed from nature, you know, in the, in the circle of life. <laughs> is that, oh, that's so stupid. <laughs> I don't think that zombies are a thing. That people fear. Not anymore, no. Especially with something like Zombieland. Another well-perceived... Yeah, comedy, yeah. Yeah, zombie comedy. But it's, like I said, it 
Shaun of the Dead made zombies fun. And I, I've joked with friends before saying that I think if... But they really... if I mean, if you think about the plot of Shaun... Like, the way things progress in, in the movie... It's a dark movie. No, no, the zombies aren't fun. Like, no, no, the zombies themselves yeah, aren't. Yeah, they, they never end up... It's, it's no, not it, it actually gets kind of heavy. Yes. Yeah, the, spoiler yes. alert, if someone's not seen... Child oh, the, the 16-year-old movie. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the tone is very lighthearted. So these are the, I think, the three big players, for us at least, into why we feel like zombies have become such a prevalent thing in our pop culture. I mean, they, they are, just like we said, from those West African origins to, again... To Those, video games we played. Oh, to, sure. Resident Evil. We didn't have time to cover that, but like... Oh, yeah. I mean, just... They have become a horde of... <laughs> a horde of merchandise <laughs> yes, <and> franchises. <laughs> a capitalistic horde. <laughs> That's what Black Friday is. It's just prepping for the, yeah. the zombie apocalypse. Yeah, you got to feed the zombies your money, like... Yeah. <laughs> but I, I have to ask this question. What's your zombie plan? Um. Well... To be honest, I would want to get some guns, mm-hmm. as, as many as I could, and uh, maybe maybe start already networking with people right. who, you know, a- accomplishing certain goals. Looking for other survivors. And or trying just to- like, yeah, securing our families. Like, I mean, right. honestly, like, if, if we're being realistic, I would reach out to, I mean, like, you're like the third person I would reach out to. If it's zombies. But if you and I are in a zombie survival scenario, is it just going to turn into Shaun of the Dead? Like, <laughs> <laughs> going to go around to Melvin's. Yeah. And then like. <laughs> we were going to pop off to Melvin's after. We're gonna get some plastic Halloween ghosts. <laughs> so we can strangle zombies. <laughs> go around to Freddy's and top it off with a uh, nice cold Bud Light Platinum. <laughs> That's kind of the idea. Really, honestly, I don't. Like, I mean, I mean, if it's if it's really a zombie outbreak, mm-hmm. we're taking this seriously. Um, I, again, is it? It's just communicating right. immediately with people with common goals. So, say so you you have done that. You've gotten like a small, uh, basically a tribe together of your, you know, people that you want to sure. survive with. Yeah. Then what is it? Are you? Are you scavenging often? Are you foraging? What like what are you Who knows? I really think like there really is no clear cut way to plan for this sort of right. thing. Well it would be right back to survival is your only priority. You know, it's you're back in Yeah, it's caveman mode. Yeah, for sure. Um I really I really don't think that there's a way to uh, plan for this accurately. I think people have uh, lofty fantasies. Oh yeah, they're like, I'm gonna get in a missile silo. They're gonna and... become some sort of like, <laughs> some sort of like warlord, like the governor, like from oh, The yeah, Walking sure. Dead. You know, like yeah. what, what we talked about before. But um, random, and it would be like uh, Richard Petty. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> he's sitting on a throne of like NASCAR memorabilia. Richard Petty would be some kind of like Warhammer 40k like preserved god. Like yeah. he's filled with like uh like NASCAR fuel like in into <laughs> he's in his a, head like a big Bacta tank. Yeah, and that, it, it's just floating yeah, in NASCAR fuel. Yeah, yeah, it's some sort of like gas tank fuel. He speaks. No, he looks like he appears. Okay, you know where the water tower is in Randleman? <laughs> it's just a giant tube, and he's yeah. like Zordon from Power yeah. Rangers. <laughs> he's Zordos, but from Randleman, <laughs> Randos. <laughs> Melvin's is good. Yeah, yeah. The Walmart is bad. Yeah, yeah. Randolph. 
speaks to you. His chosen ones. Sir, pizza is good. <laughs> Domino's is evil. The Domino's has drivers that spread Domino's seeds all throughout the land. This um, this um, somehow transitioned nicely into our topic next week when we talk about some Wicker Man-esque shit. Oh, man. We get into some werewolves who also bring along some other occult associations with them, and we're going to get into that sure. on next week's episode. Absolutely. Bad wolves. Fair wolves. This is week two of Flushtober. Just a reminder to everybody out there, if you haven't already, go ahead and register to vote. Everybody out there. Absolutely. I think there's plenty of time out there for plenty of different places. There's ways you can get involved. If you want to reach out to us uh, with suggestions for topics or criticisms, concerns, or just want to tell us that we suck, uh, you can email us directly at lifeisasewer.pod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Or if you just want to follow us and see what's going on, reach out to us on social media. On Instagram and Twitter, we are L-I-A-S underscore podcast. That's Lias underscore podcast. Let's talk. Do you like the artwork in our thumbnail? Of course you do. It's fantastic artwork. Tremendous artwork. The best artwork. Done by our friend Matt Trogdon at Cardinal Rose Tattoo Gallery. And he's giving our listeners an early heads up about his availability on Halloween Day. He's left time open for all your spooky ink needs. And he's currently booked a few months in advance. So go ahead and take advantage of this time, get some cool pieces, and be sure to send us the pics and use the hashtag Flushtober Inc.